morning, everybody. Happy hump day and welcome to the news agenda with me, Fleet Street Fox. And today I'm joined by the Mirror's editor, for now at least, Alison Phillips. Morning, Alison. Morning, Susie. How are you? Fine, thank you. Now, for those who don't know, um, Alison will be off at the end of the month. She's leaving the Mirror. So I just wanted to say before we start a quick thank you, Alison, on behalf of everyone at the Mirror and all those you've campaigned for at the paper over the years. Um, it's rare to say that um, not only do not many editors get to change the law as we did on organ donation, among other yeah, things. That was very a great moment. That was brilliant. Was fantastic. Yeah. It's very few editors, you could say, that there's not a single person in the newsroom has a bad word to say about them. Which I'm sure they do. They're just keeping it under wraps. <laughs> Actually, genuinely not one. I've tried, um, <laughs> which is unheard of in Fleet Street. And, um, and of course, the nuclear test medal and the nuke bud scandal that you fought for for us as well and for the veterans. They're all hugely grateful and very sad to see you go. But good luck in everything that you do. But also that fight continues, doesn't it, for the um, test veterans who still have been appalling. And I just keep thinking that all the stories that have been around recently about the post office scandal, which is horrendous the way those people were treated. But again, we need, we need to keep reminding people about those poor men and their families who've had lifetime consequences of being exposed to horrendous radiation in the service of their country and yeah. then just been totally ignored ever since. Totally covered up as well. I think the next big campaign for the next day is probably going to be the Hillsborough Law because that yeah. will cover so much of the stuff that we've done as well. Nuclear veterans mm -hmm. on, on Orgrave, on Hillsborough, mm -hmm. on contaminated blood, so many other things. So uh, I'm sure that will carry on. But thank you for all you've done and what you've uh, managed to build the mirror into. Now, this is the People's Pay-Per-View, everybody. So get into the comments, ask us your questions. If you have any bad words about Alison, now's the time to yeah, find them. Get them out there. Yeah. <laughs> get them out there. But those of you listening later on podcast will just have to wait to see if Rishi Sunak declares personal involvement in the increased inflation figures that were out this morning in the same way he did the declining inflation figure last month. I bet he doesn't. So yeah. what have we got for you today? Well, the mirror has splashed on evidence given to MPs yesterday by a Fujitsu boss that they knew about the post office scandal all along. Now, Alison, can you take us through this a bit? I mean, why, has no one really asked them sooner? It seems astonishing that this has come out 20 years after it started. The whole thing is extraordinary. So there was two quite interesting things happened yesterday. There was a, another day of the post office inquiry, which obviously has been running for quite some time, but only really um, since Christmas and since the um, TV drama has it really, um, had that, that much more attention. So that happened yesterday. And then also there were some crucial people up before the Business Select Committee, including um, the boss of Fujitsu, um, the current chief executive of the post office, and Mr. Bates and um, the uh, and some other victims of, of what happened. So, um, but what was really interesting that came out both in the inquiry and at the Select Committee is it turns out Fujitsu during the period that innocent men and women were being sent to prison on evidence on evidence provided by Fujitsu to the post office, they knew there was something dodgy with their kit. They knew that 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 there was there were glitches in the horizon system, and yet they continued to provide evidence which was used in court to jail innocent people. And I mean, I think they were hoping yesterday the news line would become, we're sorry, because they've never said sorry before. So I think they thought, right, we'll get a sorry out there and that'll make everybody think they're sorry. But the actual extraordinary thing is they knew. And, and I suppose 
to be slightly fair to the people that were sat in that select committee yesterday, they are new to the job. They weren't in the jobs, those jobs at Fujitsu and at the post office at the time. And so they said, well, I, I don't know when exactly we knew or I don't know why nobody told anybody about it. But being in those jobs now, their job now is to find out the answers to those questions. And I think the chair of the inquiry yesterday was very frustrated that to every question that was asked, it was all, well, I don't know, I'm not sure, I haven't got that information. It, oh. it just sounded like more attempts to push away the truth. Yeah, and it doesn't help when the, the guy that they put up, it's not, it's not his fault the way his face looks, but he just, he's, he had that kind of face that looks a little bit like the child catcher. And so, you know, it kind of, when he comes out and he's just wrapped up in a scarf and he's just always a bit cold. Like he's this scowling. But I mean, the, the other absolute scandal in all this, of course, is that Fujitsu, in the intervening period, from when they knew this was a, there was a problem with their kit that they let people go to jail, right the way up to this very day, this company is still making millions and millions of pounds out of taxpayers' money, our money, for contracts to do work for, for the government. And they've not been held accountable for their behaviour. No, I don't, see why they've, I don't see how they've got fresh contracts since this started. That's what's astonishing. Or indeed why it's taken the Parliamentary Select Committee, I don't know if they've had them in sooner than this, but why they're just doing it now because there's a big... ITV drama about it and a lot of fuss so what do you think everybody do you think that Fujitsu admitting this is some kind of you know mea culpa is it a moment where they can move on and perhaps we can all start to figure out what's sort of happened because one of the things they've said they've said that in 2010 right they knew these problems in the software which meant the postmasters were looking like they were stealing money when they weren't they knew these problems were endemic and they could it could help the defense of the postmasters if their defense lawyers had seen it and we don't know if if all the lawyers did see it. We don't know whether Fujitsu knew about these problems before 2010, because mm -hmm. Horizon, I think, was installed about 97. The problems and the prosecutions began in 99. Um, I suppose for a lot of people, there's a lot of unanswered questions here. I suppose the big one for most people, Alison, is that Fujitsu says they told the police, the, the post office, about these problems at the time. Yes. That's what they told the public inquiry yesterday. Did we tell the post office? Yes, we did. So the next question is going to be, well, who did you tell and when did you tell them? And did they pass that up the chain if it needed to go up a chain? And to... also, how did they tell them? Because it's all very well to say, oh, we think there might be, we might have got a couple of problems with um, a bit of kit here. That That's very different to saying, we think there are significant problems with our uh, kit to the point that some of these convictions that you are taking to court may not be safe. Mm. And because if they actually thought that people were going to uh, prison wrongfully, that's criminal. Mm. So th there are huge questions to be answered. Yeah, if you sit down and tell that to the lawyer at the post office, they may have a slightly different response to if you tell it to sort of a, a more minor person. Somebody in the IT department. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yes. Do you leave it in a post-it note or have you given it in a memo to the chief executive? <laughs> as simple as that, really. Um, so it's a case of who knew what when. And I suppose those questions are still to be answered by both the inquiry and the select committee if they're going to be hearing from any more evidence. But at the same time, this inquiry has been hearing there were these duplicate transactions. So you'd, you know, you'd sell a book of stamps and it would go through as two books of stamps. And that was where the money supposedly was looking like it was going missing. But that was as flagged as early as 2007 when postmasters had started ringing the helpline going, what's I have something wrong with my till? I don't know what's happening. Now, Fujitsu, like you said, Alison, has got government contracts worth nearly £7 billion a year. 
think it is. It has worldwide business. Um, I mean, the boss of Fujitsu was in Davos yesterday, getting uh, stopped in the street, getting monstered by the BBC. Yes. I like to see you monstering people in the street. It's yeah. not just... um, it can afford to pay, can't it, to make all this go away. It admitted yesterday there was a moral case to do so. And it said it will contribute. So we've, you know, the post office has admitted it should compensate. Fujitsu says it should compensate. Presumably, there's going to be talks going on between them about who pays how much of a percent or whatever. Surely, it's like in Rishi Sunak's interests now. Sit down with them, broker the deal with those two bosses, and just get it get it done, like in a month. Earn a point, you know. Yes, because, I mean, Richard Sunak came out, didn't he, and he said about the compensation, but there's still quite a lot of question marks around what the timing of that is going to be. But then hopefully something can be written into legislation at that point. So we can, you know, is it going to be the end of the year? Mm -hmm. Are they all going to get the money by the end of the year? And I think for the individuals involved, that will be a huge step to rebuilding lives that were shattered and have been shattered for 20-odd years. But I do think it's kind of interesting that these people like, the, like Fujitsu in the post office the kind of the problem that got them the, the thing that got them into this problem in the first place is that the only thing they understand is money mm. and protecting the organizations they work for so that they can continue to make more money because throughout this i did sort of think if that woman who was head of the post office paula venels had at any point sat down herself with one of the people who was um who, who was charged with false accounting or, or fraud or whatever and spoken to them as a human being to another human being, she would have known something wasn't right. She would have known. But they chose not to do that because they hide behind profits and all of that nonsense. And that, that the, so that becomes the only thing that matters. And, and now, again, we're in a situation where Fujitsu and the post office is like the only thing they can understand is like getting out of this problem by chucking some money at it. Give them a load of compensation. Fujitsu obviously can afford to do it because they're, you know, the amount of money they make. Well, yeah, we'll chuck a few million at it. But it's more than that. It's about what went wrong in their organisations that people felt it was okay to behave like that. Mm. And that, for me, is where is there some kind of criminal liability? Yeah. And you've got the situations where I think now, similar to nuclear veterans, where this has gone on so long, the victims of this scandal... Yeah, they need compensating because they've had financial loss over the years and they want to punish the people who owe them the money. But more than anything else, they just they, they want more than that. They don't just want the cash to go away. They want an actual, genuine, lasting, important, meaningful change that means it doesn't happen again. Exactly. And that's the thing that they have to actually work on. And they want justice. They want they just want justice and to be and for things to appear fair and for a you know, a multi-million pound organisation to just throw some money at it. Does that hurt them in the same way that those sub-postmasters were hurt? It, it doesn't. So, and yeah. that's I think, what, what justice means. Exactly. I think at least the, they can do is to, in, on that bill where they're going to exonerate all the postmasters who were convicted, mm. you say, well, the post office never gets to prosecute anybody again. That's it. We're not doing I that. Mean, that's an outrage. I mean, I, I don't know if I was terribly naive, but it was only really very recently I learned that the post office was able to go around prosecuting people the idea that people were going to prison without any police involvement any police prosecution seems extraordinary but yeah, yeah. It's the same with the bbc of course over the license fee there's got to be a point where you go it's not the world we live in anymore and i don't think we can do that um can we have mike's comment back up who just posted yeah, mike says the wording from fujitsu was very careful 
course it was. It was drafted by the lawyers, Mike. Saying they have a moral responsibility means they deny having a legal responsibility. So the timing and amount of compensation would be in their gift, presumably after some negotiation. Look, if I was Rishi Sunak and I had all the problems Rishi Sunak's currently got, I would have used the power that Rishi Sunak's got. I would ring the boss of Fujitsu, would ring the boss of the post office, and I'd invite them to Downing Street for a cup of tea and a stale scone and say, you're not leaving the room until we have agreed it's 60 yeah. 40 or 50 50 or whatever and then you go and you write the checks that's yeah. it and then you get the win and you say i have fixed this problem before i leave downing street and everyone goes well thanks rishi that's one good thing but he doesn't seem it's entirely possible that that just won't happen <laughs> before he leaves because yeah, that's yeah. what we do but i mean there's clearly um political benefits to be made from this whole thing because there are a few stories that have touched the British public in quite this way. So um, I, I, I think that if he's got any sense, he will do something. He'll continue to keep on this case and do something um, strong. Well, if, if he's got any sense is the qualifying yeah, yeah. part of the sentence there. Yeah. Always there. Yeah. yeah. No. Um, thank you for that, everybody. So, you know, what do you think about the post office? Are they going to get round the table, do you think, and actually start negotiating this and actually get this sorted? Because there are many postmasters who have died, um, and many, of course, have lost their homes and need to rebuild what's left of their lives with that compensation when it comes through. And speaking of Rishi and his best interests, one to the main story of the day. And this is, you know, we said on Monday's show. Um, that the Rwanda legislation was going to be the big story of the week, and so it has turned out to be. I am right again. Um, and this is the third reading of the Safety of Rwanda Bill in the House of Commons. Now, it's halfway through this sort of two-day process where they're having a committee of the whole House, and all the MPs get to argue about the, the minutiae of the bill and table amendments and so on. There is a final vote expected sometime around tea time tonight. Um, and already, Alison, there's been a sacking and a couple of resignations with politicians who can't stomach it. So who's who's gone? What's what's happening? What on earth? So, so um, Leo, who's the um, sort of famous in his own, um, in his own mind, uh, deputy chair of the Conservative Party, and Brendan Clark-Smith, who was the other uh, deputy, um, have both resigned. And then there was also uh, Kemi Badenoch, uh, junior minister, had also quit um, because they felt that the Rwanda bill, as it stands, is not sufficiently strong to ensure that um, migrants can be forced to Rwanda. Um, so I think what's interesting is they so then they regroup on it all today and then they're going to work out whether it would be possible to cut the European Court of Human Rights out of the uh, negotiations at any point. It looks very much like Rishi Sunak will win to some point. He'll get enough votes to get it over the line because the rebellion, that I think was perhaps thought might come about before Christmas is sort of fizzling and fading from view because also I think um, any Conservative MP at the moment already knows that they're on the road to oblivion. So they might as well just try and hang together for a bit longer um, in the hope in the hope for a miracle but it's all been sort of pretty tense between the and it, but it, what it is it just illustrates the, the massive divide down the middle of the conservative party which i think once this election is done and if stroke when the conservatives lose i think that division will absolutely rip it apart yeah they're going to have their sort of 
2019 moment, I think, like yeah. Labour did. And again, yes. and also the 97 moment that the Tories had where they just go, ah, and they don't know what to do. There's very little of them left. And they have to kind of reinvent themselves. And they're so different. different. The people that you meet, you know, from the, from the right wing of the party, there's so many economically, culturally, the, the, the values that they hold dear are so different to those those on the left of the Conservative Party. But I think any leader is going to really struggle to kind of bring that all back into one cohesive group. Yeah, and of course that was something that was Boris Johnson was struggling with as well. He won that red wall, but had no way to talk to them, <laughs> had nothing in common with them, didn't understand it, took it for granted, took the blue wall for granted, lost everybody as a result. What he did have was he had the charisma to get people following him. And so actually, that's why it was very much all about Boris. Boris was what held the Conservative Party together at that point. Not really anything to do with the Conservative, it wasn't to do with the Conservative Party or, or, or policy or anything like that. It was about that one individual. In the same way, if you've got Trump, the Republicans um, are completely fractured now in the States. But, the, but Trump is a, is a person that a lot of them seem to be able to get behind. Yeah. So what do you think, everybody? Um, <clears throat> do you think these resignations are major or serious? Why do you think they've resigned? Because, you know, the issue is really that they're saying that it's not tough enough, that we need to be tougher on Rwanda and not let uh, European Court of Human Rights overrule it, which is not really up to them, to be frank. Um, but Rwanda says if it's any tougher, they're not going to take anybody and they'll keep all the money anyway. So and the Tory rebels know this. So in effect, what they are doing is campaigning to collapse the tough immigration deal they claim to want. Now, why? Hmm. Why would they do that, Alison? What's, what, we've obviously had a really serious poll out about the Tory election chances this week. Has that got anything to do with why they are prepared to collapse perhaps their own government? Yeah, not? and I think a lot of this is about positioning in, in time for what happens after the election. I mean, it would be clear insanity to try to get a new... Tory leader before an election, but you know, I guess maybe some people will be prepared to sort of take it to that wire, and that's a hill that they want to fight on. But um, uh, it just it also means that whilst this continues, it remains sort of on the news agenda. They know it's a very divisive topic across the whole country, but divisive topics can be quite useful in the run up to an election. So they they want to keep plugging it away in that regard. Um, but it, it is like the kind of the internal collapse of the Conservative Party is being played out in front of all of us. Yeah, it's, it's astonishing. It seems that the right don't really want Rishi. He's only really still there because of the, the One Nation caucus and those who can't decide. But if he if he loses that vote tonight, he's leading a party that's completely ungovernable and his premiership can't last. If they all manage to sort of just about stand behind him or abstain or find a way through it so that we don't collapse him, he's still going to be really badly injured because... You know, the poll is showing places like Dover in Kent, which is very anti the migrants and the small boats because they can see them coming across every day. That's going to go Labour at the next election. So, I mean, he's this flagship policy he's got to win the blue seats, to win the whatever you want to call it, the, the, the anti-immigrant vote is failing terribly. He's going to be very badly injured. It's not really... But there's also a difference, remember, between people who are members of the Conservative Party, who might be more to the right, and your average voter, who's generally somewhere kind of in the middle. Mm. Um, and so a lot of this activity is aimed at those people who are members of the Conservative Party, because obviously they are the people who will effectively choose who the next 
who the next leader of that party is. Are they aiming it at the newspapers as well, though? Because yes. the newspapers are sort of are becoming a bit more extreme as they're losing mm. a few readers. They're having to sort of become a bit more polarising. Is, is he more aiming perhaps, you know, a few of the right wing editors so that he gets their support in the general election rather than at their readers, perhaps? Yeah, I think so. And I think, um, although interestingly, you look at the polling and the small boat is so far down most people's list of concerns behind cost of living, NHS, safety on their streets. They're the things that actually people worry about when they wake up in the morning. Um, and although this is an easy topic to inflame people on, um, it's not really the number one thing that people are going to be voting on. No, exactly. I, mean, I think there was um, uh, some figures out earlier this week that there was about 400,000 people that were going overnight in a and &E before they could find a bed. One of them was my dad this year. Oh, I mean, that's terrible. I mean, this is an amazing story we've got today that in um, Bridlington, there's a 10-year wait for a dentist. 10 years. Just dentist. Well, your teeth have all gone by then. Well, exactly. And I mean, I know that when people come to me um, for elections, dentists are one of the most discussed topics because that's the sort of stuff that really matters to people if they can't get a dentist. Exactly, yeah. And if you have to go to A&E, as my dad did, that, the fact that there isn't even a bed, he had to spend the night in a chair. Oh, it's because awful. Heart and then when he did get into a ward, guess what? There wasn't a pillow. So he had oh, a day with a day and a night without a pillow, which is silly and minor, but it's really painful. It, it is, and it just feels also avoidable, doesn't it? It just feels yeah. it could be better. We should be better than that. Easily fixed. I was traipsing a hotel looking for a pillow, and you know what? I couldn't find one. They'd all been oh. <laughs> taken. Oh. <clears throat> so we have to see. I suppose the big question in this left, we've got we've got a few wing nuts that are calling for the 1922 committee and letters of resignation and so on. Paul said, I was so happy when my MP, Lee Anderson, resigned, but then I realised it was just his deputy rather than... Let's your own Paul to get him out completely. Yeah. 30p Lee, who says it's possible to survive on 30 pence a day, but manages to make do himself on about 180 grand a year. Um, Mike says, will Rishi Sunak pull the Rwanda bill without a vote tonight, or will he make it a confidence matter to force rebels' hands? Uh, I think we've probably arrived at the latter. Um, in our discussions, Mike, I don't think he's going to pull it. He can't pull it. That really and would. I think he. I think they're reasonably confident they're going to get it over the line as well, aren't they? Yeah, but it's just what's what's going to happen next because some of those people that were prepared to derail this whole policy in order to punish the prime minister, they're just going to find something else to do on next week. Mm. It's not. It's mm. not necessarily you're going to go his way they're not suddenly his mates jocelyn says i didn't have any trouble at pool but i've given up with a dentist oh jocelyn don't give up um dental health is incredibly important keep plugging away don't, don't I, I think it's really hard on on the dentist because the, and if you go private the prices are astronomical yeah but there's an amazing statistic like apparently the most uh common cause of children going into a and e at the moment is with dental problems because mm. they clearly aren't going to the dentist so it is a problem. And then it, the cost of a of a of a basic checkup, even if you can find an NHS dentist, is still too much for some people, especially if you're on benefits yeah. and so on. Jonathan says it's a crisis in the cost of living. There's been five failed pledges. Oh yes, Boris. Um, they were pledges to start with. Remember, Jonathan, and then Rishi's five pledges, and then they became priorities, right? Yeah. Which is like saying, well, yes, I pledge that I will lose weight in the new year, and then yeah. you go priority to lose weight in the new year. Exactly. 
It's true. Exactly. So uh, true. promised hospitals, his taxpayers, private jet use. I think it's helicopters, but jets too. The highest tax burden in 50 years. Broken Britain from the NHS dented shortage to choosing heat or eat in the world's sixth richest country. What mm. a brilliant summary, Jonathan. Um, you're absolutely right. And it is pretty shocking. So, I mean, we've got these letters going into the 1922. There's very few leadership options. Um, Suella Braverman, Kemi Bednock clearly want it. But, you know, like you said, if they switch leaders, they're screwed. Can Rishi survive this, do you think? How long has he got? I mean, he says autumn. I say May. What do you reckon? I think he will try and hang on till the autumn because that means he'll have done the two years, won't it? So then he'll it looks like something. And I think there's... There's a little bit of human nature, isn't there, that you kind of keep hanging on, hoping that things might get better. Um, and may, and also, who, know, who knows? I mean, we're living in such an uncertain world. Um, you know, we, who knows what might happen in the Middle East? There's all sorts of things that might, I know it sounds awful, but that politically might help him and at least might lessen the, even if, even if, they, even if it means they still lose, it might not be quite such a cataclysmic loss. Yeah, I don't know. I think I think there need to be mass waves of heart attacks across the world for Rishi Sunak to have a better chance. Um, there was one question uh, we had there about from Ian. That's it. How many pillows could be bought with the bonus that the post office bosses got while they were taking innocent people to court? I wonder. Certainly enough for my old man to have one. A lot um, of pillows. A lot, a lot of, pillows. of pillows. And I'm sure they've all got plenty of pillows on their beds. I'm sure they've got those kind of beds with like six pillows. The about all these big bonuses is... Uh, for what for what what why do people think they deserve them at that point you know you get paid to do your job come in do your job why do you then and unfortunately i think the whole thing about that in the post office that bonus mentality it just pushed people to protect the post office rather than doing the right thing and i think that is a um an unfortunate side effect of that big bonus culture yeah well just the idea of doing the right thing seems to be unfortunate <laughs> at the moment maybe if there's a change of uh, leadership at the top of the country doing the right thing would be a bit more fashionable that would be nice wouldn't it okay thank you for that everybody um and thank you Ian, for your kind remark about pillows uh, mm -hmm. and now we have managed to find some good news in the world here it is Now, all now, often, newspapers carry reports from what I like to think of as the University of the Bleeding Obvious, telling us things we already know and using science to do it. Uh, it's quite irritating. But today, Dr. Helen Pincher, who has a PhD in stem cell biology, has released a report into which biscuits dunk best and how long to dunk them for. Now, this is the kind of science I think we can all get behind and agree is incredibly useful to the quality of our daily lives. I was very surprised to learn, Alison, that ginger nuts do not last as long as a chocolate digestive. But if a stem cell biologist says it, I'm prepared to go with her. Um, is this proof, do you think, that science can give us all the answers that we need, but perhaps we don't know we want? Absolutely. She's a proper scientist because she's wearing a white coat and everything. So she's really <laughs> a I have to say I was less surprised than you because I'm a massive ginger nut fan. It is my biscuit of choice. And I think it, it because she says the dunking time, the optimum dunking time is 0.3 seconds. Danger zone is 7.3 seconds. Now, I'd say 7.3 seconds is a, a bit long. I think you're in a lot of danger by 7.3 seconds because they just start to go. And then yeah. you end up with, you get to the bottom of your cup of tea and you've got this kind of ginger sludge at the bottom, Actually. which you then have to... 
it's the sludge that's horrible. It's having a mouth of tea and getting a bit of biscuit with it. But look at that footage, which unfortunately the podcasters can't see. But, um, you know, proper scientists dunking in proper gloves and hats and everything to cover their hair, done properly. They've even got a whiteboard. That's science, everybody, and it's doing something very vital. There's um, some really interesting, uh, interesting bits of this science, though. So Jaffa cakes, for example, which uh, they say dunking time 0.6 seconds, danger zone 9.2 seconds. But who dunks a Jaffa cake? Because the, the cakey bit will go all soggy and unpleasant. Heathens. Heathens. It's a it's a cake, not a biscuit. Why would you dunk a cake? I know, I agree. Okay, so it's to see that chocolate digestives and chocolate hobnobs all do well because they're the best ones because then the chocolate melts a bit, doesn't it? And then you can get it out. It's all yeah, that's good. But you know what? When I was a defence reporter and I used to go on to board uh, warships and stuff, I, I think once or twice I interviewed the people who were running the naffy on board the ship, which is oh, yeah. the, where you get the treats and everything that the sailors go. And every time I said, what's the first thing that sells out when you go on duty? And they said the hobnobs. Yeah. And they go, they go in the first few weeks and then everyone's like, oh, God, it's rich teas for the rest of the time. <laughs> it also says in there, some people dunk their biscuits in orange juice heathens terrible, um, terrible. but penguins will last you if you do it properly for up to nine minutes 540 seconds before they completely disintegrate I mean, and that's a long time isn't it that's a very long time indeed but not it doesn't work if you treat the um penguin as a straw if you bite the top and the bottom off suck your teeth through it you've oh. got to do it in about five seconds flat because the whole thing will fall apart Oh yeah, I'm not sure about dunking penguins. I'm not quite sure. I think I think they might bend the rules there slightly. But. <laughs> well, there we go. That's future role for you is to go and uh, yes. investigate. Yes, I'm a scientist. Yes, campaign for proper biscuit dunking. Hmm. Stop people using orange juice and jaffa cakes because you wouldn't dunk hmm. a biscuit sponge and you don't dunk a jaffa cake. Right. Thank you, Alison, for joining us. Hope to see you again before you're off. Um, thank you, everyone, for taking part, and we will see you all again on Monday, everybody. Uh, for another edition of the news agenda till then take care keep safe keep an eye on these channels because we will be carrying stuff about the rwanda vote and what's happening to rishi later on tonight until monday uh we'll see you all then okay tatty bye bye